Good morning, nerdy neighbors of the internet. It is Saturday, August 20th, 2022, and I have the distinct honor, privilege, and pleasure of welcoming you to episode number 272 of the Ordinary Podcast, polynerdic.com's weekly nerd-centric life and culture podcast for adults. As always, I am your ordinary nerdy host, Shad. And if it sounds like I'm talking softer than normal, you are hearing correctly. Um, my kids are here. They're asleep. I'm trying to be quiet. But I still wanted to record this show and keep the streak going. Um, lots of stuff to talk about this week. A surprisingly eventful week in uh, my life and nerd culture. As um, I played a ton of Cult of the Lamb uh, over the last weekend and into this week, um, it was basically all I played. I dabbled a little bit in Elden Ring, played my usual bit of Animal Crossing, but most of my video game time was with Cult of the Lamb. Absolutely loving that game. Um, you can check out most of the playthrough on YouTube right now. Uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic, dark, and adorable game at the same time. Um... Most of my free time, though, this week has been devoted to Dungeons & Dragons in one way, shape, or form. Earlier this week, we uh, recorded a video about the new Unearthed Arcana. Uh, it's about a 50-minute video, again, on the YouTube um, channel. It uh, goes over mostly in-depth the the character origin options that they are playtesting for 1D&D. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if 1D&D remains the name or if they change their mind and make it 6th edition. Because in the video they talked about uh, 1D&D being the quote-unquote next evolution of D&D and how they wanted to get away from having additions and it just be D&D. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I have some thoughts on it, uh, I am certainly going to fill out the survey on the 1st of September, because uh, I sat down with two of my three regular players last night and had a talk about the new rules and what they liked and didn't like about it, and uh, what they liked and did not like about it. I said didn't liked, um, and we're all kind of on the same page that things like making it so spells and ranged attacks don't crit. Um, that, you know, we're all of the opinion that anything that has an attack roll should should have the potential to crit. Uh, DMs, monsters, should also crit. Um, and that's from my players. <laughs> they were like, that's, that's nonsense that the DM can't crit. Um, and then, of course, there's the ever-present... Um, discussion about bioessentialism and whether races should have abilities or or should they even be called races uh, I'm of the opinion with a lot of other folks that it should be more like ancestries lineages stuff like that um, and that uh, you know you, you should have some sort of like ability pool you know whether it's done with you know points that you can quote unquote purchase uh, the abilities or what, or should it be cultural? Like, you know, um, I saw a third-party uh, material forever ago that changed it up to that you get your abilities based on where you were raised. You have an, an ancestral lineage uh, that says that, you know, like you had gnomish parents, uh, but you were raised by dwarves, so then you have abilities that, you know, deal with dwarven culture not dwarven ancestry um you know flip side of that being that like a dwarf that was raised in the city by humans would be a completely different character than someone who was raised by their by their own people you know uh, their own culture i like that idea much better i, I think dnd would would serve itself and its players much better if we switched to that kind of system um, but I did like a lot of what I saw. I, I, I like the way that the skill increase comes from your background. 
Uh, I wish they would get rid of the bit about option backgrounds being optional, and and just flesh out backgrounds more, make them more important. That's a better idea in my opinion. Um, strictly from a storytelling perspective, I think that would be a better deal. Uh, and then also. Um, the fact that you can you know you, you can have a ch be a child of a, a, a an orc and a dwarf or a drow and a gnome or you know whatever and then that's where it gets into the the the, the racial skill stuff where it's like you know mechanically speaking they want you to be like okay you can have a drow and a gnome parent um which parent are you taking your your inborn skills from and, and that's where it, it, it gets murky and, you know, gets into that whole bio-essentialism thing. Um, when it should be more like, okay, which parent were you... Which which parent's culture were you raised in? Or what culture? What if a drow and a gnome have a kid and they live with humans? Um, I, I just feel like there's it, it opens up the spectrum of, of what you can choose there. Um, I think they're on the right path but again they i think they're afraid of changing things too much i i feel like there's a bit of of uh playing it safe you know so to speak going on um but i will be filling out the the survey on the first um But that was basically my week. Like I, I watched. Oh, I watched the Sandman. I haven't watched the the, the special episodes that just dropped yesterday, day before. Um, but I did watch the the first run of the season. Um, I never read the Sandman comics. My previous exposure to Sandman was through the Audible uh, audio play version that they did, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, I think, for whatever reason, I think the Netflix version did a better job of bridging the stories into one concurrent story. Uh, it felt a little more disjointed listening to it, um, you know, where the, the arcs of the story, because there's multiple arcs to the Sandman story, um, it felt more like separate stories in the audio play. I don't know how to rationalize how it felt that way. I thought all the performances were pretty fantastic on the show. Um, and it was cool to watch the adaptation of the Netflix show and then how it sparked memories of what I heard two years ago on Audible. You know, like it, it, it's been a long time since I listened to the Audible radio play. Um, but I really enjoyed the visuals and, and, and the design of of uh, Netflix's version. Um, really good show. Highly recommend it. Um, a lot of the casting was fantastic. In fact, I don't really have any complaints about the casting, having watched it all. Um, I said a couple weeks ago that, you know, like I've really enjoyed Kat Dennings in the audio version as Death. Uh, but the young lady that, that plays death and this one i don't I, I really don't know jenna coleman's the only name i, I recognized um oh and 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 uh tywin lannister or in the early episodes um charles dunce i think his name is dance anyway uh, i i don't have imd imdb pulled up in front of me right now um i really enjoyed it. i don't even know who plays the sandman but he was good um, the Corinthian was great. Uh, in fact, all of the serial convention stuff was really great and, and disturbing. Um, yeah, the, the whole story was just came out really good on, on the Netflix adaptation. Um, not that it was bad on, on the Audible one, but, like, I, I actually enjoyed the Netflix more. Um, I haven't got to watch the first episode of She-Hulk yet. I'm contemplating waiting until it's completely finished before I before I uh, take a look at it, but um, we'll see. Uh, my plans for the weekend are to play D&D with my kids. Uh, we've got a one-shot planned. As I said, I spent most of my free time this week 
preparing D&D, working on three separate campaigns, um, if you will, because we have the one shot for this weekend. And then the finale of the campaign we've been playing for two years. I've been working on that, and I will continue to work on that until two weeks from now when we start playing the finale. And then we are building our second campaign as well. So I was, I was working on all three of those things um, on top of all the other D&D stuff I consumed this week. Um, which is a decent enough segue, I guess, to move into uh, Wizards Presents happened this Thursday, um, August 18th. It was a, uh, a breakdown of multiple things um, coming with D&D and Magic the Gathering. As I said in my video um, on Thursday that I am not going to really talk too much about the Magic the Gathering stuff because I don't really enjoy the game. I had a conversation with my friend Jen yesterday about it and it. I think what it comes down to me is, is I don't feel a hook to Magic the Gathering. Like I understand there's a lore and the lore is actually pretty awesome. Like I like the D&D setting books that are in Magic the Gathering. Um, Ravnica and... Uh, Theros, I, I like those settings a whole lot, but at the same time, I really don't enjoy the game of Magic, and I think it's a combination of, like, there's there's no story to the game. It's literally just competition between you and whoever you're playing against, right? Like, which is, is not my, my jam to begin with. Like, I, I prefer more collaborative type board games and stuff. Uh, I think Ticket to Ride might be the only game I play semi-regularly that is purely competitive that I enjoy. Um, like, like I don't view Cards Against Humanity or Joking Hazard as, as competitive games. They're more just about the laughs that come with it. Like, I, I don't care who wins that. Um, but, like, the board games I, I most enjoy are, like, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. Um... Games like uh, uh, there's a, a, a Lovecraftian game that I, I I used to play with my friend Sean, um, but I really like that's you know more collaborative. It's not Im immediately competitive, and it's telling a story. Um, and I think that again, that's my hook with D and I love the storytelling aspect of it. And even though I am technically adversarial in the combat sense with my players as as the DM, I I don't want to win, you know, like I, I don't, I don't set down at the table and going like, today's the day I kill them. You know, today's the day the bad guy wins. Um, I'm more into it for the story. And I think that's where Magic the Gathering falls apart for me because it's, it's like on the, on the, on the imaginative scale, it is like two powerful entities throwing spells and summons at each other, right? Like Final Fantasy style uh, is, is how my friend Jen put it, and I said, and I get that, but there's no why, <laughs> and, and that's where the game loses me, um, but they did announce some stuff for Magic the Gathering, Lord of the Rings, Doctor Who, uh, they're returning to their original setting, um, which, let me scroll down to the bottom of this article where the Magic the Gathering stuff is, I went too far, I went to the comments. Um, oh, Warhammer 40K is getting uh, <laughs> Magic the Gathering as well. Um, and then uh, Dominaria United is the new uh, multi-set storyline that we'll be kicking off. Um, as for Magic, not Magic the Gathering, D&D... Uh, at the Wizards Presents presentation, we saw one D&D, as we talked about. They released a trailer for it, and then the playtest stuff. Um, they also formally announced that Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen is coming December 6th. Um, returning to the world of Kryn, it's got my boy Lord Soth on the cover. Um, and then there's a Dragonlance... Warriors of Kryn board game which will be a board game that coordinates with the written adventure um, but you aren't required to play both um, 
so I feel like some of the bigger war parts of the game will be represented in the board game. Um, finally, though, with this edition, with, with Dragonlance, Warriors of Kryn, and Shadow of the Dragon Queen, um, D&D is offering physical and digital bundles, um, which um, will let you get the book and the game on D&D Beyond, or the books physically and on D&D Beyond. Um, let me see here. Shadow of the Dragon Queen book bundle gets you the physical and digital editions for 60 bucks. Um, and you get early access on digital content on November 22nd. They also are apparently throwing up a deluxe bundle. For $154, um, the $154 version will contain the board game as well. Um, and The crappy thing, though, is if you buy the bundle like that with the digital and physical editions, uh, the regular version only gets you the standard book. And this is one of the rare instances where I really want to get the the special edition, the alt cover, uh, because the regular cover of Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen is cool. It's got some draconians. It's got a red dragon, uh, someone riding it, and then in the background is Lord Soth. But the alt cover is just Lord Soth, and it's that nice foil style that they do, and it makes me sad that I can't get that version and the digital bundle without paying $154. Um, but it is cool that Wizards of the Coast, now that they own D&D Beyond, is actually bundling now, because uh, that's always been a great frustration um, as a DM, having... Like, I have some of the source books and rule books on D&D Beyond, and I have others, most of them, on physical, and, like, there's no, there's never been so much as a coupon um, to uh, to do it. Uh, other than, I think, um, the Essentials Kit had something uh, when we first got it. And for the first time in forever, um, Wizards went out and posted next year's books. Um, not exact release dates, time frames. Um, and many of these I'm excited for. Uh, the first book of 2023 um, is called Keys from the Golden Vault, and it's going to be an anthology of heists. Uh, the description says, Grab your thieves' tools and your favorite dark cloak, because each of these adventures has a nail-biting heist at the center of it. Uh, in spring of next year, we'll see Big B Presents Glory of the Giants, which is speculated to be um, the giant equivalent of the Fizban Treasure of the Dragons book. I think Treasure of Dragons is better than Big B Presents as a title, but whatever. Um, yeah, we will get Glory of the Giants, a book about giants uh, and their cultures and stuff. Interesting to see if they're going to add new giant types that we previously didn't have. Or is it just going to delve more into the ordning between the fire, the cloud, the storm, all that. Um, probably the thing I'm the least excited about, and that's that's only just, is um, in the summer, the Fandelver campaign. And I, I really hope they give it a better title than Fandelver campaign. Um, the original... 5e starter set 
um, which they are now calling a classic adventure, um, Lost Mind of Fandelver, uh, was the starter set um, quest. Uh, we started with the Essentials Kit uh, because we came to 5e late. Uh, we were talking about that last night, too, that like we've been playing for two years, two and a half years now, and we didn't realize that when we joined that it was so far into 5e like it should have been obvious with the number of books that were available when we started um but we're you know late to the game literally and uh because when the new rule set drops in 2024 5e will be 10 years old and uh It's interesting that they're returning to the first campaign, but they're turning it into a campaign. It's no longer just a, like a level one to four adventure or whatever it was. Um, so I'm interested in it because we've never played it, but also uh, because it's being expanded into a full campaign. And there's some rumors abound that it's, it's going to deal with some Far Realm stuff, and I love some Far Realm stuff. Um, give me that Eldritch Horror, you know. Uh, summer of 2023, we get the Book of Many Things. Um, it says, This book takes the deck of many things and uses it to explore new player and DM options. I'm all about options. Um, as I said when I was in the video uh, of the Unearthed Arcana stuff, what I want from the new player handbook in 2024 is... A book that is just overflowing with character options uh, because you know they, they want everything to be backwards compatible and yes they just put out the monsters and multiverse book uh, that reworks a lot of the the non-player handbook player races but I want all of that all of the updated players handbook stuff all of it together I just want a big thick book of player options because I spent a lot of time over the last two weeks for my players assembling what amounts to an index of all the player options I have between all of the official stuff all of the third party stuff and all of the stuff that people have just made and put out there on you know their own websites for free you know GM binder and and other places um, because there is a lot of really good quality stuff out there that Wizards of the Coast didn't make you know some of it's on DM's Guild so they are getting a profit from it uh, but there's a lot of stuff that people just put out there for free or put out there in their own book. You know, everything Cobalt Press done has done has been pretty good. The Tome of Heroes book is pretty damn good. Um, I haven't put out my official review video yet, but, like, it is really damn good. Um, Valda's Spire of Secrets has some really interesting options in it. It has some silly options in it, like the GM being a warlock patron. Uh, but it has a whole witch class with with different subclasses that are based on the type of magic it has an alchemist class which is um similar to the artificer alchemist but it, it's more in depth because it's a whole class it's not a subclass of a class uh it has a variety of of um character options that don't exist like it well ahead of of what D is now doing um it had mixed ancestries uh like the hobbin which is a half hobgoblin half human um it had um so many near human as they called them um varieties uh that like it, it, it i mean it, it's it even kind of overshadows like the concept of genasi and stuff um lot of options there and uh, it it's a quality book that is out there um i kickstarted it i'm pretty sure you can pick it up uh other ways now but like there's just so many things and that's what i want from the player's handbook and I, this book of many things i want to see those player options rolled into that new player's handbook i, I don't want to see because I, I talked about it in the video and i had some commenter on youtube discuss it uh, my my question I don't want the new player's handbook to just be humans, dwarves, elves 
orcs, um, gnomes, halflings, dragonborn, tieflings, and ardlings, since they're adding the ardling race. Um, I want all of the player options in that new handbook. That's what it needs to be. Uh, it just needs to be full of all of the spells and character options, you know, races, ancestries, however you prefer. I, I, I said I prefer ancestries or lineages, um, classes, subclasses. It just needs to be a thick-ass book of things uh, that you can play as. Um, will we get it? I don't necessarily have my hopes that Wizards of the Coast will do that. I would be shocked if they if if it's more than just those base classes um because ultimately monsters in the multiverse just came out even though it'll be two years old by the time this new player's handbook drops they're going to want you to buy everything um but i am curious as to what the book of many things will be next summer and and then fall of next year um planescape is coming back uh Ready to explore Sigil and the Multiverse Beyond? This is the book that has everything you need to do just that. And that is something that I'm curious about. Because Spelljammer came out this week. Um, been excited for Spelljammer for a very long time. Um, I bought a lot of the second edition Spelljammer books on PDF uh, through DMs Guild and, and uh, Drive Through RPG Uh Almost two years ago, like almost right after we started playing, I found out about Spelljammer and then fell in love with the concept. So I, I have a lot of the older stuff saved and I have to say it and it hurts me to say it based on what I've seen. I haven't read the adventure yet, but the Astral Adventures Guide and the Monster, the Booze uh, Menagerie, the Monster Manual book um, are underwhelming. It sets a decent foundation. But it's not detailed at all. Um, I'm not the first to make this complaint, uh, but it feels a lot like um, Lizards of the Coast just kind of offloading everything on the DM. Uh, they don't give us a lot to work with. Um, in fact, like when it's talking about travel, like it lays the groundwork. You have the Astral Sea, and then in the Astral Sea, there's little pockets of wild space. Um, kind of their take on what used to be the Phlogiston and the Crystal Spheres, right? Uh, for those of you that don't know, Spelljammer, 2nd Edition, there was this magical substance called Phlogiston, and it kind of flowed between the Crystal Spheres, which contained each individual system, each solar system of, you know, wild space, or I'm sorry, realm space, kren space, gray space, whatever, whatever setting book, you know, dragon lances and crens, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then that's how it worked in the old, old ways. The new ways you travel through the astral sea to get to those, um, systems, the wild space systems. The problem is the book does nothing to explain the systems themselves. It doesn't even talk about the other planets in realm space, you know, because most of 5e is in Forgotten Realms. Um, it takes place on the planet Toril. Uh, yes, the information is out there on the internet, and yes, you can piece it together, but it doesn't even try to lay out Toril is the third planet from the sun in, in realm space, and then the first, second, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever planets are these. And they're this far away. Uh, it talks about the DM needing to design a chart to figure out the distance between the planets and how long it takes to travel between them and all that. Literally in the book, putting all of the burden on the DM's shoulders. And I think that's unacceptable. Um, when my players and I were, were, were talking about the books last night, if I paid $70 for that, I would be pissed. I got it for 40 um, 
So I feel like I got what I paid for. I got it at an extremely discounted price, and I got an extremely discounted effort from Wizards of the Coast. Um, it does not do enough to lay out inter-realm travel, inter-wild uh, space travel. Like, it tells you how you do it. You know, the ships go X miles or X many feet a second around. Um a lot of the ships are in that 35, so they almost move just like people do. Um, but then, you know, once you're away from other entities that have gravity planes and whatnot, you can go a ridiculous amount of speed. But then you come back to, well, now as a DM, I have to plan fucking interstellar travel now. <laughs> um, because it's like the book couldn't be bothered to lay out that information. Uh, and as I said, it's out there. It's it, it, You don't even have to pay for it. You can go to any number of wikis and find out about the space systems of the different settings. But that should be in the book. Um, you know, they did release it as three 64-page books. Um, honestly, it should have been like a 400-page book, a 350-page single book, kind of like the Eberron setting was. Or, give me a second... Uh, the Critical, Critical Role folks put out their setting book uh, for Tal'Dori, and it is just under 300 pages. 280 pages for it. Uh, it was just over 300 for Eberron. Um, Wizards of the Coast's own book. Um, Dragonlance is an adventure, so it's not a setting book. Um, so I don't expect it to be 300 pages. But you can put out massive books for relatively inexpensive um, especially at the at the level that they're selling them and I feel like the Spelljammer book was kind of half-assed um, there's no new classes or subclasses rather uh, yes we got a handful of, of new creatures to play as with the Tricreen and the and the, uh, the, the Gif and the Hadozi and uh, the Astral Elves uh, the autonomes, all that, the plasmoids, new stuff to play with there, right? Uh, but there's no new subclasses. Um, I think it would have been cool to have new subclasses. Um, it's kind of a bittersweet book because it's it it barely functions as a setting book. It's the adventure looks decent. I haven't finished reading the adventure, and a lot of the creatures are awesome. Um, and the Menagerie book, but like the, the Astral Adventure book itself is very disappointing. Uh, and, and I will say even the, uh, the quality of the books suck. Like they don't have the same feel to them that, um, the, the other five eBooks do. And I find that upsetting. They, 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 they just don't feel good. Uh, they're like, they lack the glossy smoothness and even the, uh, the covers and stuff, they just feel cheap. Um, now granted this is the first book I've bought this year from Wizards of the Coast I don't know if Cult, or, uh, Call of the Netherdeep felt similarly cheaply made um, but it is like I said extremely disheartening that the, you know two magic spells in the book one for an air bubble and one to make a spell jamming helm um, a handful of magic items but it's like the fish suit, the ori, uh, the spell jamming helm, and I think that's it. Um, bunch of ships, um, but even even the amount of ships that they have is super low compared to what existed before. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, I'll do a proper um, review of the books once I finish reading the uh, adventure. But I really think. Uh, they 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 kind of botched it on um, what they uh, what they gave us. Uh, there could have been so much more. It should have been a three to four hundred page book of of stuff. Uh, kind of like I was saying about the player's handbook stuff. It needs to be it needs to be a big thick book of options. This should have been a big thick book of options. Ultimately, I'm hoping, um, and I've already seen a lot of it out there that people make their own stuff, put it out there. And it's good. 
um, you know, more options, more more detailed space travel and bo- combat. Because, like, it, it does talk about combat between the ships. Uh, but it doesn't go into great detail. Um, some of the stuff it does go into is kind of vague. Uh, you know, like the the siege weapons that are on the ships, the ballista. Um, it says it takes an action to load it, an action to aim it, and an action to fire it. But it also says it's, it has to be manned by three people. So is that one round of combat for those three actions to happen? Is that how that's supposed to be laid out? Like, like that? That's. Um, but it it doesn't explain that. Um, it also uh, a lot of people I saw on TikTok were confused by the damage threshold bit. Uh, damage threshold has existed in D and D five e since the beginning. It's in the DM's guild, uh, DM's guide. Um, but I don't know anyone who's ever used it. I've never seen anybody use it. I've never seen in any of the actual plays I've watched, and believe me, I've, I've watched hundreds of hours of people playing D&D. Uh, it's one of my primary sources of entertainment, um, and not just Critical Role. I, I've watched all of Critical Role up to this point, some of it twice, and... I mean, hell, I've watched the finale, like the last three episodes of, of Campaign 1, at least a half dozen times. Um but, you know, all the stuff that B. Dave Walters does, Todd Kendrick does, um, Abrea Iyengar stuff, Brendan Lee Mulligan stuff, I've never seen anybody use damage thresholds. I've never seen anyone storm a castle with siege weaponry. You know, um, I've never seen it brought up when, like, oh, you know, these weapons you have are siege weapons, so when you hit a solid object, it... it it has a damage threshold. I've never seen it come up, and I don't think I'm the only one because when you look at the the ship guidelines, it has a damage threshold listen, list, listed, and I've seen several people, half a dozen people if not more, talking about how, like, how they had to look up what damage threshold was because it's not explained in the book. I think that's a, a design choice that is, is not great. Um that's all I'll say on Spelljammer right now. Um, you, you got an idea of how I like it and don't, you know, what I, what I think works and what I don't think doesn't. But I, I will do a proper uh, Spelljammer review in the near future. Um, but I think that, like, like the Dragonlance book that comes out in um, December, you can use that for Kryn... You know, so you get an idea of what's going on with Kran, and then you can use Spelljammer to get there if you've been playing a Forgotten Realms campaign. Like, that's kind of how I plan on using it. And, like, I already have the Eberron book. Uh, there's another Eberron book that was released um, on DM's Guild I want to get my hands on. Um, I want to get some some Grey, Greyhawk stuff. You know, I want to piece together the multiverse since D&D didn't do that for me. And, and that's where I'm the most frustrated with the Spelljammer book is, is you created a setting that mentions multiple times that it's uh, it's a gateway setting to travel from one planet. I'm sorry, my air conditioner is running real loud right now. Um, it's a, a gateway setting to go from, from, it, from location to location to location to location, but you didn't provide those pieces, and, and that's frustrating. Um, And the last thing I want to say about D&D before we move on is uh, as part of one D&D, they're working on a really cool-looking uh, digital play space. Uh, and if it works, it's going to be amazing. It's going to kind of be a game-changer because it's, it's set in a way that it looks like rendered minis um, and maps and dungeons and stuff. Um, I just got my hands on Dungeon Alchemist this week and am looking forward to messing around in that uh, to build maps because I am so tired of of having just a paper grid um, or going to other places where I have to... um, Like, I love Incarnate, Incarnate, uh, but it it is a hassle to build maps there. And uh, so I'm looking forward to using Dungeon Alchemist to... To, to make maps for future games. Um, no more D&D, though. We're going to move on to video game stuff uh, and movie stuff, things like that. Uh, Embracer Group. 
just bought a bunch of stuff this week. Um, they acquired the rights to the Lord of the Rings, uh, Middle Earth Enterprises, uh, which owns an extensive collection of motion, motion pictures, video games, board games, merchandising, theme parks, stage productions, and the literary works themselves are now owned by Embracer Group. Uh, seven studios were also picked up. Limited Run Games, Singtrix, Tuxedo Lab, Tetsujin, Tripwire Interactive, Bitwave Games, and an undisclosed company within the PC console gaming space have been acquired. And uh, Geotech, known for its game accessories, also joined Embracer Group. They own everything. <laughs> um, the acquired studios have shipped several games recently, including Shantae Games, uh, Super Meat Boy, River City Girls, Teardown, Killing Floor, Maneater, Chivalry 2, Snow Bros, Flying Shark, and Gimmick. Embracer is buying everybody. Posting on Amazon for Dead Island 2 Day 1 Edition has a 2023 release date. That original game came out over a decade ago. Yeah, allegedly February 2023. Um, February 3rd, 2023 is what's on the listings before they were taken down. Um, and the item, the description summary says, Several months after the events in Benoit, the United States military has put the Golden State under quarantine. Now a restricted zone, California has become a bloody paradise for those who refuse to leave their homes and an action-packed playground for renegades who seek adventure, glory, and a fresh start. Combining the classic Dead Island elements of immersive close combat action and role-playing, Dead Island 2 features crazy, never-before-seen handcrafted weapons and over-the-top characters in taking players from the iconic Golden Gate to the celebrated beachfront boardwalks of Southern California's Venice Beach. I really liked Dead Island, the first one. Had a lot of fun playing it. Uh, it was silly in a way that uh, that y you kind of want sometimes. Uh, I think Dying Light 2 or excuse me, Dying Light did the zombie pandemic thing much better. Um, I haven't played Dying Light 2 yet. It'll be interesting to see how this um, pans out. Uh, the makers of Blazing Chrome, which was a Contra-like, um, have now... Um, Contra Metal Slug-like. Uh, they're now putting out um, Vengeful Guardian Moonriders as an homage to classic action, action games like uh, homage to classic action games like Ninja Gaiden and Shinobi. It looks pretty cool. I'm a sucker for a side-scrolling uh, pixel art uh, action game like that. Um, Ghost of Tsushima could potentially be entirely in Japanese. I really like that idea. Uh, I did not play the game uh, with Japanese voice acting. I, I did play it with English. Um, if I were to replay it today, if I had a PlayStation sitting here with me, I would definitely play it in Japanese and probably do it in black and white to go full uh, Kurosawa. Um, the director of John Wick is uh, set to direct it. We know movie to... Um, big screen, or excuse me, video game to big screen doesn't always work. Um, but I'm interested to see how that one pans out. Um, I would watch a completely Japanese uh, Ghost of Tsushima movie. Um, we see some art um, showing what Riri Williams' Mark One suit as Ironheart will look like in Black Panther Two. Um, it's 
interesting uh, concept art. Obviously, you can't see it, but uh, this being a... Um, you know, a audio podcast. Uh, it's definitely not going to be a polished Ironheart suit. Um, yeah, her appearance in the movie will lead to the events of her television series, Ironheart, which is set to premiere on Disney Plus next year as part of Phase 5. So not much is known about Williams, Riri Williams' place in the MCU except for the fact that she will be suiting up in Wakanda forever before Ironheart and her appearance in the film isn't just a mere cameo. In the first Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer, Williams interacts with Shuri, which possibly hints at her suit being powered by Wakandan technology. There's also a brief shot of Williams building her suit and constructing the infamous heart-shaped arc reactor but no full glimpse of the suit was revealed to the public. It, yeah, it's, it very much has a look of a handmade suit. Uh, it doesn't cover everything. You can you can see like the the uh, coveralls that she's got on under it, like the like the pilot suit. Um, no helmet. It also feels more custom-made and less bulky than Stark's Mark I and isn't a fully-fledged iron suit. It looks more flexible than one. Yeah, the, the Mark I Iron Man suit is ridiculous. Ironheart set photos reveal her full armor falls more in line with Iron Man's classic look. And it's, she will surely appear in Ar Armor Wars alongside War Machine. Let's take a look at this link here. Let's look at her the set photos. Oh yeah, it's definitely more traditional Iron Man. I'd show you, but again, audio podcast. Um, talked recently about the uh, the plight that Ezra Miller is on um, The Flash. Uh, Screen Rant has an article here. It says, After months of negative headlines, legal issues, and other serious accusations, Ezra Miller has finally issued a statement. But will The Flash, a star, will the Flash star's apology be enough to save the movie and Warner Brothers' discovery from the escalating PR nightmare? Um... Miller's statement includes both an apology and a commitment to seek treatment for complex mental health issues, marking the first step toward an attempt to repair a complicated situation. See, The Flash's trouble started long before Miller began to generate negative headlines, his first non-cameo appearance in Justice League being significantly altered by Joss Whedon's rewrites and reshoots after he replaced Zack Snyder on the project. The DCEU's behind-the-scenes conflict spinning out of Justice League resulted in numerous creative team changes and production delays on The Flash, and the situation only got more complicated thanks to a string of legal run-ins and other allegations against Miller in recent months. The situation has yet to officially impact The Flash or Miller's future character, but recent reports suggest Warner Brothers has considered a number of approaches if the situation doesn't improve. That includes, in the most extreme extreme cases, potentially scrapping the movie to altogether, like they did with other DC movies like Wonder Twins and Batgirl. Now that Miller is openly acknowledging what happened and seeking help, how will it impact The Flash's marketing? Considering the nature of the numerous allegations against Miller, who uses they-them pronouns, both legal and otherwise, it is important to first understand what Miller's apology actually says and what it doesn't say. In a statement provided to Variety, Miller said, Having recently gone through a time of intense crisis, I now understand that I am suffering complex mental health issues and have begun, have begun ongoing treatment. I want to apologize to everyone that I alarmed and upset with my past behavior. I am committed to doing the necessary to get back to a healthy, safe, and productive stage in life. 
Based on the wording of the statement, a few things can be inferred from the state of the situation. First, the statement acknowledges that there is a problem with their behavior and that needs to change, and Miller admits to having mental health struggles. Uh, Miller admits their mental health struggles are both a cause and consequence of at least a portion of the very public intense crisis. Second, Miller reveals they're committed to ongoing treatment to return to a healthy and productive place, indicating they are seeking help. Third, the apology does not admit to fault in any specific allegations. It simply acknowledges and apologizes to anyone alarmed or upset by their behavior. Uh, There's still a lot the public doesn't know about the full story about what happened with most of the drama surrounding Miller. But so far, none of the legal claims have resulted in any convictions. So far, the allegations without any accompanying legal charges are only supported by hearsay and circumstantial evidence, which is neither sufficient to prove any degree of guilt nor infer any concrete degree of innocence at this time. Miller's statement is an important first step, but a lot more clarity will be needed to assess how much of the situation is smoke and how much of it is fire. Um, as someone put it out on Twitter, uh, lots of us have complex mental issues that don't lead to kidnapping and grooming and cult-like behavior and breaking in and entering and the variety of other things he's accused of. Um... I had no idea that Anthony Starr from The Boys uh, was arrested in a, for assaulting a, a chef. That's disheartening. Uh, unrelated uh, to the Ezra Miller thing, I guess, but it is in the article. Um, I don't know what to make of the Flash situation. Um, I'm still reeling from Batgirl being canceled. I, I was looking forward to that. Um, in fact... Warner Brothers Discovery, I guess, just deleted um, a bunch of shows off HBO Max, a bunch of shows and movies. Um, Let's see. HBO Max to remove 36 titles, including 20 originals from streaming. Um... Yeah, a spokesperson for HBO Max attributed the decision to the merge of of the platform with Discovery Plus. Uh, As we work forward to bring our content catalogs together on one platform, we'll be making changes to the content offering available on HBO Max and Discovery Plus. This will include the removal of some content from both platforms. Taking off the titles from the streaming would help Warner Brothers Discovery cut costs by removing lesser watch programs to save money on residuals. Um... Let's see. Although HBO HBO Max has removed several titles in the past week, including several Warner Brothers films. Take a look at that. Um, And TV shows such as Camping, Vinyl, Mrs. Fletcher, and Run. The latest announcement represents the largest quantity of titles to be taken off the service. Um, Let's see. What are we taking off? Um, Generation, Infinity Train... 12 Dates of Christmas, Sesame Street spinoff, uh, The Not Too Late Show with Elmo. Um, so here's the whole list here. Let's see. Uh, 12 Dates of Christmas, About Last Night, Aquaman, King of Atlantis, Close Enough, Ellen's Next Great Designer, Esme and Roy, The Fungies, Generation Hustle, Generation, Infinity Train, Little Ellen, My Mom, Your Dad, Odo, Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness, Summer Camp Island, The Not Too Late Show with Elmo, The Runaway Bunny, Tig and Seek, Theodosia, Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs, My Dinner with Herve, Cher, Dodo, Elliot from Earth, Mau Mau, Heroes of Pure Heart, Mighty Magiswords, 
uh, OK KO, Let's Be Heroes, Uncle Grandpa, Victor and Valentino, and then they require they acquired a few shows. Um, none of those things I've ever heard of. I'll full full disclosure. I will say Warner Brothers doing this um, is a, definitely an argument. Um, for physical media. Something that, you know, advocates for physical media have been talking about forever is that the the all digital age could lead to this happening where you just you don't own anything um and it can be taken away from you in a moment. I experienced it forever ago with video games where I owned um, digitally owned one of the Dead Space games. And this is long before they came to Game Pass through EA Access and played it and then came back a week later and couldn't access it because Xbox decided I didn't own it. And then when I reached out to Xbox... Uh, they were like, yeah, you haven't played that game since, you know, 2014. And I'm like, bullshit, I streamed it last week. Here's a link to the video. How was I streaming it if I wasn't playing it? You know, like, and, and it, uh, I never got access back to it until it came to Game Pass. Um, digital media is a murky area of do you really own it? Like, they, they've tried to say for years that when you buy something you don't own it remember that was the argument when xbox wanted to um lock down your ability to play video games and and play used games and whatnot um this is worst case scenario stuff to discuss it this way but like they could take it away it's not yours And, and that's uh scary if you like you know, being able to return to things that you enjoy, you know. Um, I, uh... I'm still disheartened. Like, I don't have HBO Max, uh, but it was a service I was thinking about getting into later on when I had money. Um, and so, like, to, to see it just be... Um getting tore apart thanks to this this merger I'm not happy about it <laughs> and and I'm not happy for what it means for the future overall you know like it, it's just it's just not something I I want to see happening and here we are you know Yeah, so I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. I think we talked a lot about a lot of things, and we got a full hour in. It's been a while since we have uh, hit the hour mark. Um, stay, keep your eyes peeled to our YouTube channel. Um, I have Spelljammer, Tome of Heroes, and Plane Breaker uh, that I want to do reviews for. So that's three D&D tabletop RPG reviews I want to do. Um... I might do the uh, survey live or record it anyway while I do it um, as another form of D&D content. Um, yeah, I just really, 
really um, hope that the one D and D stuff when it comes out is good. Um, you know, I've already seen some five E players out there doing the 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 thing that a lot of people mocked third edition players for, where they're like, "How dare they put out new rules? I'm just going to keep playing what I like." Uh, which is completely acceptable, uh, but the indignation part of it isn't. You know, like, like we talked last night. I went over the the, the playtest stuff with with the, my players, the the younger two, um, the teens, and we talked about like, yeah, I could see us implementing a rule like this and a rule like this, but not this one. You know, like crits being limited to player characters that are martial. Um, is not a cool rule. Um, I mean, even my 12-year-old was like... I, I laid out Jeremy Crawford's scenario of like a bugbear critting a first-level character and outright killing them. You know, you have six hit points, they do 12 points of damage, the character's dead. Like, no death saves, they're just dead. Um, and even my 12-year-old, he's almost 13, but even my 12-year-old was like but isn't that the game? <laughs> um, and this is a kid who was in tears practically when he lost uh, an animal companion due to an area effect spell. You know, like it, it um, he understands the emotional stake and that's part of the game um, it, for him. You know, granted, maybe you don't want that in your game, uh, but that's the sort of thing that we do with these games is we alter the rules to suit the table I am looking forward to 1D&D seeing how it comes out um, I have what I would do and I have what I think Wizards of the Coast will do um, and then the option is meet somewhere in the middle you know at, at our own table um, moving forward I might start implementing more of the ancestry legacy stuff culture stuff uh, to get away from the bioessentialism, because like it's, it's like Wizards of the Coast wants to move in that direction, but then pulls themselves back a step right back into it. Um, some might call it wishy-washy. Anyway, um, expect more D and D content on the YouTube channel. Um, after the weekend, I will once again make a stab at streaming Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, I only pulled off Monday this week. Um, probably going to dive back into spirit fair and try to finish it before the end of the end of the month uh because we only have next week and up to the first to finish spirit fair um i haven't played it in forever i want to see it through to the end before it goes off game pass um so we might take a break on um called with the lamb for a minute and get to that uh But yeah, I, uh, I hope you have a good weekend. I, I hope you have fun with whatever you're up to this week. Um, that's all I can really say, though, is, is keep an eye out on the YouTube channel and the Twitch for, for more content rolling out. Um, I really want to do, as I've said, more regular tabletop stuff, but I can only react to what I've got. <laughs> you know, uh, like we kickstarted... Um, two weeks ago, we kickstarted the Steinhardt's uh, Eldritch Hunt book. Uh, it's not due out till March of next year. Uh, I'm waiting on a couple kickstarters that had slight delays or aren't due yet. Um, let me open my Kickstarter up. Backed projects. Um, hello, why did you sign me out? Um, Steinhardt's Guide, Guide to the Eldritch Hunt, that's not due until uh, next year. Uh, Tome of Beasts from Kobold Press is due in November. When we get our hands on that, we will absolutely talk about that because I love Kobold uh, Breast. Kobold Breast. Kobold Press is bestiaries they have excellent ones i have tome of beast one and two and the creature codex 
uh, in PDF form. Tomo Beast 3 will be the first one that I get uh, outright. Um, so I will do a re review of that when it comes out. As I said, I've got Plane Breaker. I haven't done one for Valda's uh, Spire of Secrets. It's been out a year. Maybe I will do one of that. Um, I have a digital book coming from the Tenaris RPG. Uh, it's estimated delivery was in April. Uh, they obviously missed that mark. Um, so we'll talk about that. Tome of Heroes, as I said, we'll talk about that. Um, Worlds of Web DM Weird Wastelands is coming. Uh, it's another one that was delayed. When it comes out, I will review that. So that's stuff that's coming. Um, I'm going to sign off now uh, and uh, get this posted. Um, talk to you next week. Make sure you uh, like, follow, and subscribe Polynerdic on most of the social media. Just search Polynerdic. You'll find my face. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the internet. Have a good one.